Blog Talk Radio. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Was anyone else doing the Michelle Obama dance routine to that song like I was? I did it a couple months ago with the Diva Bedick Club in Philadelphia, and I've been getting better at it ever since, so I can't wait to come back with that in October. Anyhow, tonight I am mixing things up a bit on Diabetes Late Night because Neva White and, and poet Lorraine Brooks are on vacation, so we're going to roll out the red carpet and invite some big names to be our guest tonight all with the hopes of helping you get out of a food, fitness, or diabetes funk. Let's face it, for most of us, the Northeast, who live in the Northeast, if we were in a major funk earlier this year with that winter, it was nonstop. So I thought uh, British musician, songwriter, and producer Mark Ronson's new album, Uptown, Uptown Funk, would be a great way to help us get out of a music funk and kick things off. So we'll be playing selected cuts from his album, Uptown Special, courtesy of Sony Music, all night long. And stay tuned, because coming up, we have authors Trisha Peretti, Dr. Lori Shemick, Chef Robert Lewis, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, and Mama Rosemarie. Plus, are you fascinated by the biggest story in social media? Yes, I'm talking about Caitlyn Jenner. You know, I certainly am. And I have to say, when I saw those photos in Vanity Fair, the first thing that came to my mind was I wanted to host a big, massive Makeover Your Diabetes show for every woman living with diabetes and give her that kind of Vanity Fair experience. Um, So later on in the show tonight, I'm going to be talking to a beautiful trans woman named Jasmine about her life's journey, about what it's like to live as a woman today. And if you don't think transgender and diabetes mix, well, guess again, because first off, there are more than 700,000 people in the United States living uh, who are transgender. And there are several risk factors related to uh, being transgender, including hormone use that can lead to diabetes. Additionally, many transgender people have complicated relationships with their bodies right from the get-go. 
which may lead to weight gain, food addiction, and physical inactivity, which again can lead to an increase of developing type 2 diabetes. Unfortunately, though, up to 39% of the transgender community face harassment when they seek routine medical health care services. And I think that's shameful, and I want them to know that I'm proud of all of our transgender dudes and divas out there who are listening tonight, and they are welcome to attend any and every Divabetic club or outreach event we're doing. If you're transgender, I want to thank you for tuning in, and I want to thank you for being a part of the community. Yes, we have had transgender members come to our events in the past, and I just say, glam more, fear less, we're wishing you the best. And uh, it's all about being who you really are. So uh, please stay tuned before we get things started because in a minute you're going to hear some more Mark Ronson. But right now, take a minute to donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. You know what? July 2015 marks our fifth year anniversary of Diabetes Late Night. We've been playing great music for several years, mixing up with empowerment and diabetes education, and I'm so thrilled. And tonight we're going to hear another song right now from Mark Ronson's album, Uptown Funk. The singer is Keon Starr, and she reminds me a little bit of Jody Watley. Listen in and let me know what you think. Looking for a new love, baby. Seriously, play those two, two songs back to back and let me know if you could tell the difference. I couldn't. I did it earlier today. <laughs> you know, tonight we're playing Uptown Funk and we're talking about how to get out of a fitness food and diabetes funk. Um, are you constantly blaming yourself for all your past mistakes? Is that why you're in a funk? Well, the truth is we should all go, we all go through life making mistakes, but experts agree that it's how you respond to your mistakes that will impact the type of person you become. Learning how to move past blaming yourself can help you get out of a funk. If you punish yourself or others for your mistakes, hey, these three tips might help. Number one, reframe what you should do. Instead of saying, I should work out, you should start saying, I could work out. Just by swapping could for should makes a big difference in your outlook and how you approach new opportunities. Number two, look at the big picture. When you, when you can look at setbacks and opportunities for growth, life becomes easier and there's less pressure. Instead of blaming yourself for a situation, experts say look for the silver lining. Ask yourself, what can, I, what can this situation teach me? What can I learn from what just happened? Earlier today, I lost in straight sets on the tennis court, and I've been asking myself that all day, and I have to say the answer is my backhand. But there's more on that on the Facebook page. And number three, trust yourself. Many folks blame themselves for gaining weight. Isn't that true? I, I know I do. Uh, they bait themselves up all the time by telling themselves they can never lose that weight again. However, experts say that when you begin to trust yourself, you will eliminate doubt and have more confidence in your ability to accomplish a goal like weight loss. So it's all about trusting yourself more and believing in yourself rather than blaming yourself. 
Okay, so it's time to meet our first guest. I'm so thrilled to have him back on the show. I can't wait to wish him a happy Father's Day. Uh, he's the author, author of Cook Fresh, Live Happy, and I want to welcome the happy diabetic. Please help me welcome my friend, Chef Robert Lewis. Hi, Chef Robert Lewis. Hey, Max. How are you? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And happy early Father's Day to you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. You know, what I say around my house is every day is Father's Day for me. And why is that? <laughs> well, I, I just got it good. That's all I can tell you. You they do. Not, you're, a lot of here. your family members help you out with all your cookbooks because you have more than one cookbook. I know uh, Cook Fresh, Live Happy is the latest one, but your daughters were taking pictures and helping you yeah. do some of the recipes, right? That's right. My daughters were the photographers. Another daughter was the designer interior, and my son, who does on my website, and all the my graphic designing. So it's and my wife who keeps us all on track. So it's kind of a, a big family affair around here. I love it. So um, we should tell everyone you're living with type two diabetes, and you do call yourself the happy diabetic. But I'm wondering when you were first diagnosed, were you in a rut or did it kind of get you down? And you know, if it I, did, how did you get out of it? Yeah, you know what? I was the denial diabetic, and and really I've been a diabetic now for about. Uh, I think I'm going on 19 years as a type 2. And I think the first six months was definitely denial for me. I mean, I I was the worst patient. I didn't take my medicine. I thought I could cure this thing myself. And just really one day I just had a kind of a awakening, kind of my, I call it my diabetic spiritual awakening, where I said, you know, Robert, you're a horrible patient. You're not doing very well. Um, you know, the future is not very bright. So it's time to suck it up and time to start making a real difference. And that was kind of a turnaround for me. I just was in a funk. I mean, I was at the bottom of the diabetic hole. Knowing that, Are you experiencing um, any kind of health setbacks because of that? You know, not really. But what I really could see was just my blood sugars elevating, um, which, of course, causes all kinds of complications. So I just, you know, said, Robert, you've got to do better. And basically with supported my family and friends, um, made a conscious decision to move forward. Well, you know, I mean, we are celebrating Father's Day, and there a lot of the wives come to our Divabetic programs because they're married to men like the man you used to be who's not right. being care of themselves, and they kind of are pulling their hair out, begging us to figure out how can they get their, how can they get their husband to start putting his care as a, making his care a priority. So what would you say to those women out, who are listening out there tonight? Because I know they are. They tune in every month. Yeah, you know what? It's tough because some, sometimes those women feel like they're like the diabetic police. But really, I think what really has to happen is the, the person living with diabetes has to take ownership. And with some very loving support and some nurturing, we've got to get them to just take ownership. And one of the ways they could take ownership is in the kitchen. You, we should tell everyone you're a chef. And yes. uh, tonight you're going to help me get out of a cooking rut uh, or funk because, you know, we've got a couple questions that I'm going to be asking you a little bit uh, later on from our community on Facebook. So really, you know, the truth is when you start talking about food, you start talking about carbs, and when you start talking about ca counting carbs, people hit the wall. So when it comes to preparing meals and um Getting out of a funk in the summer, what do you, what's your tip? What do you think people should do? Well, I think, first of all, getting outside is a great way to kind of get out of your funk. And there's nothing better than outside cooking, grilling. 
And so I know around our house here in Iowa, we're outside all the time. As a matter of fact, tonight when we're done, I'm, I've got a little chicken I'm going to grill, put it on a really nice field green salad with a simple vinaigrette. So it's going to be lower carbohydrate, some nice protein, less fat, less sodium, but packed with flavor. And, Max, you know, we've talked about this before. A lot of times people think that, you know, diabetic cooking is tasteless and just horrible. But I believe in taking ordinary ingredients and turning them into something extraordinary. Well, I'll tell you right now, Cindy from our Facebook community said oftentimes people say three things that you ha- that make food taste great are sugar, salt, and fat. But, of course, you have to be careful if you're living with diabetes about those things. So uh, she wanted to know what are some tips to make her favorite foods more flavorful if she can't use that sugar, salt, or fat? Yeah, I'm going to go to my go-to spices like oregano and basil and garlic and you know, five spice and, you know, things like that that you can add to food, fresh herbs that don't add any calories or any salt yet can really kick up the flavor if you're looking for some foods, you know, some items for foods that are different yet flavorful because, you know, olive oils are delicious, but it's a fat, 128 calories per tablespoon. So I just tell people, take it easy, use less fat, cook in a nonstick skillet, um, you know, cook in ways where you can flavor it, but not douse it. You know, I get very upset when I watch the chefs on TV, like lather food with olive oil, when really I think it's a very irresponsible thing to do. You don't I, have to do that. I don't want to name names, but I'm thinking Rachel Ray. Okay, yeah. well, I was okay. in Provincetown. I was working the grill, and a lot of my food was sticking to the grill. So right. let's get back to grilling because it's, it's not as easy as it, Bobby Flay likes to make it look. How can I avoid things sticking to the grill? Here's what I do, I, I, and, and I use a gas grill, but the same will work for a charcoal grill. I like to take heavy-duty aluminum foil and cover the grill because I think what happens is a lot of times food ends up sticking to the metal grill grates, and then you get metal on the grill that could get into your food. So I like to cover it with aluminum foil. Heat up the And do grill. you cut holes in the foil, or do you just cover that whole grill in foil, and then it's all one flat surface? Yeah, great question. No, I don't. I don't cut holes in the foil on purpose, unless I'm like poking by accident. I just cover the whole grill, and then what you can do is turn the grill on, get that surface super hot, because what I think is really great on the grill is searing the food, which means taking the meat or the vegetable on a hot surface. It sears in the flavor, kind of seals it in. So I'll take a little, like, nonstick cooking spray, lightly spray the aluminum foil. And if I'm cooking, like, vegetables, Max, like asparagus or broccoli or even, like, salmon, I'll just take a little bit of especially, like, a flavored olive oil, which is what I really love to use, like lemon-flavored, garlic-flavored, and give it a little drizzle, massage it in, put that right on the hot aluminum foil on the grill, and sear it. And Turn the I, meat I o- love asparagus, so like how long does asparagus go on the grill? You know, it's a little different for every grill, but I would say anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes. And what I like to do is get it super hot, sear it, get some color on it, and then turn the grill low and even take the asparagus or the chicken after it's seared nicely, move it to the cooler part of the grill and have the heat elements like, say, on the left, and have the food on the right, so you're almost indirectly cooking. That works really great. 
Interesting, because Cindy also said she's tired of making everything separately, protein, vegetable, start, and yet she's concerned that if she combines them, she will end up with too many carbs or carbs that are too difficult to determine the accurate count. How can she get around that dilemma? I mean, in the grill, it seems they're putting everything together. Yeah. You know what? I like cook. You know, I try to like, and putting it together, when I say that, I mean like, for example, if you can look at like, imagine a square on the right part of your grill that might be indirect cooking where the grill isn't totally hot. I've got the chicken in the upper right-hand corner, the asparagus in the left-hand corner, you know, maybe some grilled corn, something like that on a lower part, all in the right size portion that I'm going to be eating. So I, I try to keep it separate. Okay, and um, if you were speaking to a newly diagnosed di- person living with diabetes or divabetic who wants to cook for themselves, what would be the most important tips or tricks you would give them? That's a great question. So the most important tip I could give them is everything in moderation, right? So, you know, cook flavorful foods that taste really great, season really good, but, you know, your portions don't have to be ginormous. And and I think the one thing that's really helped me, Max, in my diabetic eating and my health is that I eat more frequently throughout the day, but smaller meals throughout the day. So at any one given meal period, I'm not like ravenously out of control hungry. The danger is if you're eating many meals throughout the day, it's easy to lose track and easy to overeat. So I try to put things in baggies or put portions in baggies like vegetables or string cheese. So or nuts or raisins or crackers. So once that little baggie is done, I know that's my snacky snack. I think so it's by great the time dinner, So by the time dinner rolls around, I maybe have had four small meals throughout the day, so I'm not ravenously hungry. Great. And just like our favorite food stars, you're now cooking in front of people all the time through the Internet. You're doing live streaming videos that anyone could sign up for free, and they could watch you prepare an entire meal like the one you were just talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, called Diabetic Cooking TV. It's on Meerkat. So, Max, you know how much I love you, man, but I'm actually meerkatting right now. So I've got 70 people watching offline in various different um devices all over the world and i have about 10 to 15 people actually interacting with me right now live on meerkat all you have to do is go to the android store or the iphone store download meerkat and then just um like chef robert lewis the happy diabetic diabetic cooking tv and then you'll get a notice anytime that i'm pod i'm meerkat meerkasting actually and for our tech-phobic uh, divabetics out there, you also have cookbooks available and recipes available on your website. So tell everyone about your website. Yeah, so happydiabetic.com. So a lot of great recipes. I do have my cookbooks there. I, have, I blog every week, so there's always recipes going up. There's a free VIP newsletter you can subscribe to, which I just send you great recipes, horrible jokes, cooking tips. Um, But I really want my website, Max, to be a community like your community where people can feel free to call me, email me, send me notes about what their frustrations are, recipes they would like to have. So it's a very interactive area. There's Facebook going on. There's Twitter going on. There's Pinterest going on. There's Instagram going on. And all those links are at my website. 
Um, I want to help people make a difference. I mean, I want right, to make well, a difference. Well, get ready because you're going to get one or two wedding proposals along with that mix. Just take it from me. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. You know, producer, DJ, songwriter Mark Ronston used his winning formula for an array of different artists, including the late Amy Winehouse, Adele, and Bruno Mars. Let's take another listen to one of his songs of Uptown Special, courtesy of Sony Music. I thought that song would put us in a grilling mood. You're listening to Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. And tonight, I'm turning the heat up with different ways to help you get out of a funk-related fitness, food, and diabetes. How about laughter? Well, my next guest feels that laughter could go a long way in helping you stay happy and healthy living with diabetes. Please welcome author and certified diabetes educator, Trisha Peretti. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Max. How exciting is this? Thank you for having me. Thank you. I I heard there's a lot of happy campers at Camp Carl Kids in Carl Springs listening to us tonight. Yay! Who's clapping? Yay! <laughs> Those are the kids. What? So you're right now. You're spending the week at a camp down in Florida. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it is my fifteenth year as a nurse at Camp Carl Kids. It is only for children with diabetes, um, and it is the love of my life. I live for June, and I am, I am so excited to say that for the first time ever this year, it is extended. So it's actually three weeks, and um, the, full, the full agenda will begin for all of the campers on this coming Monday. We've had, you know, the staff and everybody, and I really could not do justice to – um, my campers and my community, if I just – is Chef Robert Garner, is he still with us? I love everything he said. He had me at oregano, basil, and garlic. Um, but he said he's a happy diabetic. And we talked about it today, and I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I'm a person with diabetes, and being called a diabetic is a label. And you transforming it, Max, to divabetic is absolutely the only other acceptable version. It's wonderful, and I I love it. But um, it has been a struggle for me uh, to convince people that it's not just semantics. For 12 years, in my book, I very vividly describe, like we almost got into a car accident because a very wonderful diabetes educator who was driving heard me talking about camp. And I said it was a camp for diabetic kids, and she slammed on the brakes, and I almost went through the windshield, and she was very upset that I phrased it that way. And I said, you know, what what should I be saying? And she said, we are people with diabetes. So for me, I have had this on my radar for 12 years. But today, in 2015, you know, I heard many times, I'm a diabetic, I'm a diabetic. And, like, you know, people don't say I'm a canceretic or I'm a celiacic or I don't even know what the, the terms would be. And I feel that diabetes is part of who I am. I'm so much more than that. And and labeling myself as a diabetic puts it, like, grand central at the middle of my being. And, 
you know, and I'm at the middle of my being. Diabetes is just a spoke in the wheel. And so, okay, I'm sorry, you didn't ask, but that that's the first thing. No, I, I think it's great. Chest. I mean, I do get, I do get, people say that to me all the time. I mean, I personally love Chef Robert uh, Lewis's attitude, and I think if you, you know, we're all about claiming it and living out loud with it, and if it's easier for you to be living with diabetes versus being a diabetic or a diabetic or a diabetic, that's, whatever one works for you is what, you know, I believe in my heart. I, I think... Um, I, I don't. I, people have said it to me a million times too, and I've just come to the pl- uh, place in my heart that I think there's so much shame and blame associated with the disease that you know you wow. lost. I go to all these parades around New York City uh, with one purpose to kind of uh, show, bring awareness to the community, and show people that diabetes is all around them. So a lot of times I have a jacket with Divabetic on it or I'm wearing the T-shirt, and people come up immediately and tell me, oh, my gosh, I love that. I'm living with diabetes. And, it, and I think it makes such a difference to have that connection. And then I do those videos because I want, I want people to know they're not alone. But, it, you know, I, if someone were to challenge me with the title, again, I just stand strongly behind whatever works for you. So, you know, for you to be living with diabetes, you're fabulous. You were at our very first uh, outreach event many years ago, nine years ago, at Mess Makeup Studi- Studios in New York City. I was sponsored by the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund. Uh, that was the very beginning of me kicking off uh, the idea for our national tour on Makeover Your Diabetes, which traveled to eight cities and outreached to thousands of women. And you were, I remember when they told me you were coming and I had never met you, and you walked in the door and you were totally dressed as a diva. So tonight, let's agree <laughs> to use you. the term diva because you were so spectacular, and I and I really sur- feel Tricia in my heart, and I'm sure in the book, uh, the Sweet Blessings, My Adventures in Diabetes, available on Amazon, your new book, uh, that you're inspiring a lot of men and women to be happy and healthy and to be stylish, and uh, you know a lot of times people get in a funk because they're living with diabetes and they think their life is over, especially women. And I know you've been living mm-hmm. with diabetes now for how long, over 16 years? Oh, 23. And, okay. Um, yeah, and, and, and I have to say, um, and I say it in my book, that ironically diabetes didn't make my life any less amazing. In fact, it has made it more amazing. And I think the transformation happened when I stopped hating it. And and as Chef Robert said, I mean denial. Any any anything that is as grave and serious and life threatening as diabetes, it would be unnatural to not first be in denial and then to get angry and then to bargain. I mean, I got down on my knees and begged God, like if He would just make my eyes, my vision come back because I woke up blind, I would like I would turn into Mother Teresa, and I would devote my life to whatever. And it turns out to be diabetes. So I've learned to be very careful what I pray for. And, 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 but in the end, I feel that my life has been blessed. So to fight the funk, whether it's diabetes or, or like whatever, I wake up every day of my life and, and I'm first of all grateful that I woke up and because of my Dexcom, which beeps in the middle of the night if I have a low blood sugar, I realize like I am very blessed and lucky to wake up some mornings. And, and and so I wake up and I thank the universe, God, and say, hey, I woke up, thank you for the morning light and my life and the joy of living. And then I have a gratitude journal, and I really don't start my day without writing 10 things 
that I'm thankful for because it focuses our attention on what we have instead of complaining about what we don't have. And it's no different than the cliche of the cup, you know, half full or half empty. It is what you think it is. And so that's how I fight my funk, whatever the reason. And, and you know, I mean, I was dancing when, when Mr. Hudson was on, and I can see all my Dexcom. It lowers our blood sugar. So, you know, some water and some dancing, you don't have to get down. It's a number, people. It, we are not numbers. And some future place, there's going to be diabetes without numbers. I've heard the dude who made the bionic pancreas. These people have worn it, and they have diabetes without numbers. And it will happen for us. So we have to stay well until they give us either a cure or, or, or a way around all this. But if we're a train wreck with complications, you know, that's not really going to work. And, and I know people that have wonderful, perfect hemoglobin A1Cs, and they still hate diabetes. So I guess my message, Max, is that at some point, you ha- and as, the, as, as Chef Robert said, you have to get out of denial and take ownership because once you stop hating it and, and you own it, it's yours. It's like saying I hate my arm. It's my arm. I can't hate my arm. I need my arm. So, no, if I have my life to live over, would I want to have diabetes? Of course not, but I do, and I'm playing the hand I'm dealt with gratitude that I'm alive and don't have a lot of more terrible other things, <laughs> you know? And, and, and yeah, I'm, a, I'm a critical care nurse. You can wake up at 7 and be gone at 8. So as a critical care nurse, that's my background, I, I, I only became a nurse because of diabetes. Um, and so if just for that alone, I, I'm grateful, you know? And you have a new book out, your very first book, called The Sweet Blessing yes. of My Adventures in yes. Diabetes. It's available on yes. Amazon.com. You know, so we, you mentioned earlier at camp, you came to my very first event. I'm sure you also agree that support makes a difference. And, of course, a lot of our listeners are having a knee-jerk reaction because a lot of the times they say, I don't want to be around other people living with diabetes. We'll have nothing in common. I know every time I get someone who comes to one of our events, it's kind of life-changing. What's it like for you? You've been a presenter as well as an attendee, and obviously right now at the camp you're serving as a, uh, the nurse on site. How do, you, how do you think people of all ages living with diabetes uh, benefit from being in a community? Okay, I have um, goosebumps on my arms and legs, and I'm going to try to not cry because this is what I know to be absolutely true. For me, just being at a camp with everybody speaking the same language, we are like all normal, but the new normal together. And I sat yesterday with all of the applicants' goals. Each child has a goal, and the parents have a goal. And everyone, I would say, well, 99% said that they want to be with other people who are like they are. They want to be likes attract. And when we are together, you know, it's wonderful that a young child knows to give me orange juice or vice versa. And we are, we are family. We are community. And every year the evaluations are that they want camp to be longer. And anybody out there with a, a lot of money, I want a camp that doesn't end. My dream is that camp will never end. Like, I know it sounds Pollyanna, 
but I cry terribly when camp is over every year because they're my people. And I know every counselor, every nurse, and every kid who has ever been there has had a more positive outlook on diabetes when camp is over. It's much more matter-of-fact. It's not apocalyptic. They're no longer the only person in the world. It's life-changing. So anybody out there who's really rich and doesn't know what to do with their money, I'll start a nonprofit camp in South Florida. It's sunny all year. It's needed. These parents... These parents don't relinquish custody of their kids even to go out to dinner. These parents are some of them for the first time meeting other parents that live this insane, scary life. And the parents are going right to heaven because we scare them. And so for every parent out there who takes care of us, (laughs) thank you. Um, Our attitude is more matter of fact than our parents. And I get that. But it doesn't change the fact that we we still um, are people. So if your kid comes home, instead of just saying, what's your blood sugar? How about if we ask, how are you first? <laughs> um, I love we it. are more than just a number. You know, we're not just. And, and the food police and, and well-meaning spouses nagging us does not lower our blood sugar, people. Okay. So, well, there you go. Um, well, I want to say, Trisha Peretti, you're fabulous. Stick around. I'm going to bring you back at the end of the show. But get ready to stand up because uh, it's time to listen to another song from uh, Mark Ronston's Uptown Special Album. This album was recorded in four different cities over 18 months. Here's another tune called Leaving Las Feliz, courtesy of Sony Music. Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and tonight we're talking about ways to get out of a food, fitness, and diabetes funk. You know, beach season is right around the corner, and if you're putting on that bikini, sometimes you feel bloated. I know uh, it's been a long time since I put on a Speedo, but I have been feeling bloated, and my next guests are going to help me get over some inflammation as well as talk a little bit about how to deal with diabetes and fitness at the same time. Let's meet two of the loveliest healthcare workers from around the country who I'm finally referring to as the Charlie's Angels of Outreach tonight. Ooh la la. They are super sexy, everybody. Uh, let's meet them right now. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. And our superstar, oh my gosh, she's the founder and owner of DLS. Health Works, plus she just published a new book called Fat Flammation from Dallas, Dr. Lori Shemrick. Hi, Lori. Hey, Max. Charlie's Angels, huh? Yeah. Totally. I love it. Thank oh, you. Oh, my gosh. Have people seen your headshot? <laughs> oh, la, la. Yeah, really. Wow, you're fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Lori, I want to start with you because I was yes. just in um, Providence Town and we were playing some beach volleyball and I went for a ball and my belly went the other way. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Right. I, I, beer really does leave me bloated now. It never used to, but now some it's changing in my body. I know a lot of people out there uh, want to lose weight. You've helped 
thousands of people lose weight, and part of that is by understanding the fat cell inflammation uh, that could actually, you, you say, help people with their arthritis or their diabetes and uh, feel better about their overall health and get to that optimum health. So tell me a little bit about fat inflammation and also about this fat, and your book as well as inflammation and how it might be stopping me from getting down to that six-pack I've always dreamed of. Absolutely. Uh, now, there are a couple different types of inflammation, and we have acute inflammation, which is we've all experienced, say, a cut on your skin. And when that happens, you have like soldiers in the body that rush to the site while the cut's producing an enormous amount of inflammatory molecules. The soldiers heal the site and they go away. And with silent inflammation, you have something, its very name suggests trouble, uh, you have an area in the body that is emitting low levels of these molecules, okay, these inflammatory molecules. And the problem is it never heals. It's there 24-7 doing its dirty work and typically unbeknownst to most people. And so what happens with that type of inflammation is, as we all know, leads leads down the road to diabetes, arthritis, and all sorts of uh, awful uh, health conditions. And then we have what I call fat inflammation, which is a silent inflammation of the fat cells. And our fat cells, we used to think our fat was just this jiggly inert mass. It just sat there and didn't look so hot. But we now know that fat cells have their own agenda. It's very much alive. In fact, it's our number one largest endocrine organ, and it's sending out messages. And the messages are either to store fat or to release fat. Unhealthy fat cells, toxic, bloated fat cells, store fat and do not release it. Healthy fat cells, on the other hand, release fat because fat is meant to be used for energy. It's meant to cushion us. It's meant to keep us warm. And so when they're healthy, they release it, it, the fat the way they're supposed to, and all is well. You maintain your weight or you lose it. And so the good news about this is that uh, you can pre- prevent these uh, health conditions, which, by the way, fat inflammation does cause health conditions down the road. And uh, But you can reverse it, reprogram your fat cell inflammation with diet. And that's the best part is that we don't have to spend a fortune on drugs or we don't have to spend a fortune on this or that. We can actually use food, which people should be using food, to create optimal health and weight loss. And reversing our fat cell inflammation, which is the core cause of weight gain, is the way to go. There is no other way using specific foods to do that. All right, and in your book, Fat Inflammation, you uh, identify the four, the fat inflammation four, which is what you consider to be the ingredients that will inflame your fat cells. So um, they are sugar, refined grains, high fructose corn syrup, and I know my listeners are going to be shocked, artificial sweeteners. Um, so let's start with the last one because... You know, for years I was addicted to Diet Coke, and then I kind of broke it, and I'm still going. I'm sometimes in a rut, everybody, about my Diet Coke addiction because I, I just had one the other day. Um, what Talk to me a little bit about artificial sweeteners mm-hmm. and why they inflame my fat cells. 
Well, we used to think artificial sweeteners were just fine, okay? Now, we always had that this segment out there that was afraid of the cancer issue, okay, with saccharin, for example. But through research, we now know that diet sodas, uh, the artificial sweeteners used, actually trigger an area in the brain that creates an addictive behavior, it lights up an area of the brain, the reward center, that makes you want more, okay? And on top of that, it also uh, promotes fat storage, more hunger and cravings, and slows down your metabolism. And in some research, they have shown that it actually does increase your insulin. So it's very important not to put it in your body because, number one, it's a man-made product, okay, in terms it's a chemical. And I could go into a long diatribe about that, but suffice it to say that we don't want these chemicals. They, they are stored in our fat cells and, pr- and promoting more inflammation, okay? And when we have that fat cell inflammation going on, then we have weight gain, we have uh, other issues as well. So, yes, you don't want artificial sweeteners in your life. There's a product out there that I highly recommend to my clients with diabetes. It's called Zevia, and there are other products out there like it, but you can find it anywhere at any pretty much now. When I started recommending it, it was a very unknown product. In fact, they were so happy that I mentioned it on TV that they sent me a couple cases of it, and I was overloaded with it. And, well, I'll, uh, I'll be coming over later tonight. Right, um, help you me know, out. You know, when you take away diet soda, or for me, Diet Coke, not Diet Pepsi people, Diet mm-hmm. Coke, um, then they tell you to drink water. You say, Max, if you do nothing else, if I can't give up the sugar, the refined grains, the high fructose corn syrup, or the artificial sweetener, if I drink more water, it's going to make a difference. And you recommend Absolutely. I drink it at several times during the day. What, what's your recommendation on that? I, I recommend drinking a minimum of half your body weight in ounces. And, and that's not asking a lot, okay, from my standpoint. Um, and, as, and know that as you lose weight, your, your um, weight goes down and so does your drinking requirement. But, you know, it's... Because when the cells are lacking water, they're not functioning optimally. Our body is mostly water. It's about 70% water. And when our cells are lacking it, cellular function slows down, and guess what? So does your metabolism. So it's really important to make sure that you're, um, you're adding water to your diet, on top of which... When your cells are lacking water, when you're mildly dehydrated, the area of your brain, the thirst detector, if you will, is located right near the area where you it signals hunger, okay? <laughs> so many times, in fact, in most cases, if you're hungry all the time, and you know you shouldn't be, you go to the refrigerator. This is a great sign. So you go to the refrigerator, you open the door up, you stand there, and you go, you know, I'm hungry for something. I just don't know what it is. That's a sign you might need to drink a glass of water because that's that the the brain not not getting the message, okay? It's that confusion in the brain. And so drink a glass of water, wait five minutes, and you'll be surprised to see in about five minutes that craving will be gone. And so when you have foggy thinking, you are tired in the middle of the afternoon, you reach for those Cokes or the caffeine or the candy or the, you know, the carbs, 
that's also another sign you may simply be just mildly dehydrated. So consistently drinking water throughout the day is going to reduce the fat cell inflammation, inflammation throughout the body as well, and uh, start creating uh, uh, cells that are functioning optimally. Okay, and one more question while we're wrapping up mm-hmm. with you. Um, you heard me mention earlier about confidence and weight loss, and I know you counsel a lot of people about weight loss. So there's a lot of people right. out there, myself included, who've gained and lost, gained and lost, gained and lost, and unfortunately we might be tipping the scale right now at the biggest, at our at our biggest weight. What would you say to encourage us? I mean, I, I know you know people. We just we feel defeated. We feel like we failed. I know Luther Vandross, who I worked for for many years was so successful on so many other parts of his life, but when it came to managing his weight, he fe- felt like he failure, failed. So what would you say? How can, what can you offer? That's, a, that's an excellent question, yes. Okay, it comes down to a matter of self-worth and how we perceive ourselves. Sometimes the way we perceive ourselves sets us up for failure. It could be in different areas of our life. And like you said, it could be, you could be successful in one area and not in the other. And so what happens is, is we get stuck in old patterns of thinking. And we don't understand or, or realize that we have the power to make good things happen for us, that we have the power to make change. And that all boils down to self-worth self-value. You see people who know that, that they go, yeah, you know, I need to change this. I need to do this about my life. It's more about valuing your health, if you look at it that way, and taking control of that area and knowing that you have the confidence to make changes and know that you do. Because a lot of times people with weight loss have not tried so many times and have perceived failure when in fact they if if given the chance with the right tools and the right information they will be successful but it's about you mentioned earlier your guest talking about reframing that is perfect and i i use that myself reframing the way you perceive yourself reframe any situation that you find uh frustrating or anxiety ridden using the word choice is very important using the word I choose to do something as opposed to I have to do something, making a point in every area of your life to be conscious because a lot of times we all run through our lives without making any effort in terms of focus. And so by doing that, it becomes a habit. It becomes more often, if you will, and uh, success in the end. Great advice. All right, so the book is Fatflammation. Tell everyone your website, Lori. Absolutely. The book is called How to Fight Fatflammation, and you can get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Or if you want, you can buy it from my book site where I have many gifts for those who order on the site from Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And that is fatflammation.com. I'm sorry, fatflammation.com. And we should tell everyone we're both part of the – Diabetes Influencer Network, and you could always catch us on Twitter chat. So that's great. That's Thank right. you so much for being a Thank part of the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. Patricia, coming over to you. 
You know, oh. a lot of people with diabetes right now who are listening are in a fitness funk because they used to be so active, and then uh, the minute they were diagnosed with diabetes, things started to change. They get a little bit nervous because they're having blood sugar lows when they're being active. We heard Trisha mention earlier she was dancing, and she she immediately checked her blood glucose monitor or I think it was her continuous glucose monitor to see where her numbers were. What would you say to people out there who might be in a, a funk uh, for fitness who have diabetes? Well, Max, uh, the key to um, being fit or participating in fitness when you have diabetes is to make sure you have balance. And when I say balance, I mean there has to be a balance between your blood sugar, your medications, the food that you're eating, and the exercise or activity that you're about to do. So before exercising or engaging in any physical activity, it's best to check the blood sugar prior to starting and after. You definitely want to make sure that there is enough glucose in the system to sustain you through that phase of activity. And also, never, ever exercise or engage in activity on an empty stomach, especially if there is medication that you take on a regular basis. That medication, uh, if it's insulin, when it's working its hardest, is not the time for you to engage in physical activity. So seeing your doctor, your diabetes educator, someone who can help you to um, customize a pattern to maintain that balance would be wonderful because eating is essential. Having good blood sugars is essential. You must test before. You must test after. And uh, it helps you to maintain that balance, that uh, to sustain you through that phase. Okay, and uh, Dan from our Divabetic Facebook community wrote in and said he's living with type 1 diabetes. He's an avid golfer. Uh, he pre-plans to go out and golf, and he's been fine all spring, but now that the weather's warming up, suddenly his numbers are going crazy. Does the hot weather have uh, any effect on your blood sugars? Yes, it can. Um, hot weather... If he's sweaty, if he's dehydrating himself, um, you know, hydration is very important. And when you're dehydrated, those numbers will tend to be a little bit up because there's less volume. There's a higher concentration of sugar in the fluid that you do have on board. So being hydrated helps to keep your numbers in good sync. Uh, one other thing that I can mention uh, make sure that your meter and your testing strips are protected from the heat because sometimes you can mistakenly think that the numbers are funky because um, because of the heat sensitivity of the meters and the strips. So make sure that that's not a problem. Okay, so then Beverly wrote in and said, do I have to check my blood sugar every time I exercise before and after or can I use some kind of pattern management? It's best to test. Uh, know for sure. You may feel that everything is good. You may feel that you have done things the way that you always do it or you're following a, cert a certain pattern, but it's not always uh, wise to follow that pattern and to rest assured without the test. Okay, and your last question from Cindy. I'm embarrassed to go low on the treadmill. What's a quick... Uh, fix for raising my blood sugar that no one will see? 
Well, first, before you get on the treadmill, as I stated, you should always prepare and make sure that the blood sugar is at least 100 or above. Don't do any exercise activity with a low blood sugar starting out. Make sure that you have eaten within 30 minutes. Um, you know, if you're doing something vigorous, uh, vigorous activity, make sure that you have eaten and eaten long enough to have digested some. So I would say about 30, 45 minutes. And the other part of that is um, the question was, what's a quick fix? So make sure that you have something like glucose tablets. Um, it's, it's just like having candy or something that's inconspicuous that no one would notice. Um, make sure you do the right measurement, the 15 grams of carbohydrate. But before treating that low blood sugar, make sure it's low. And how about Hershey Kisses or Snickers Bar or, you know, you always see that, the, those Snicker commercials where you're going diva when you're starving because you're, you're moody. Can they, should they have chocolate? The best type of sugar um, uh, carbohydrate that you would have would be pure sugar. So hard candy is better. When you have something like a Snickers, there's a lot of fat in the bar that uh, kind of counteracts the absorption, so it doesn't go into your system as rapidly as the quick sugars. You want a quick-acting sugar. I love it. You know what's happening, um, Patricia, on July 14th? July 14th. It's our fifth anniversary uh, anniversary for Diabetes Late Night, and you've been with us for so many years. I just want to take a minute before we go into next month and tell you how much I appreciate having you on the show all the time. You know, Trisha Peretti was the first guest I ever had at an end event, but you were the very first educator at my national outreach event in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Fox Theater, and you've been with us all these years, and I just appreciate you so much. I thank you, Max, and it's so enjoyable. It's the, a very much a different type of outreach that I see as very being very beneficial. Non-clinical settings, uh, our audience seems to be able to participate, articulate their needs in a way that they don't with their, you know, in a common scenario. So I love it. Well, I love it too, and I love the music. So guess what? This month's uh, Diva Inspiration, Mark Ronson, takes musical cues from Shaka Khan, the Isley Brothers, Steely Dan, and Boss Gags on his album with uh, fat synthesizer basses, killer riffs, and horn-drenched funk, in addition to tunes with complicated chord changes. Let's take another listen to Uptown Special's track, courtesy of Sony Music. <laughs> Now, you're listening to Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'm not, when I'm not reading nutrition labels, I'm reading Us Weekly and Vanity Fair, and Call Me Caitlin is all over the headlines. So tonight, I'm very uh, honored to welcome my friend, the lovely and vivacious Jasmine from New York, to help shed some light on the transgender community. Please welcome Jasmine. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the show and helping us to uh, 
Caitlyn Jenner has raised so much awareness around this, but I, I know a lot of people have some questions, and our Facebook community has been writing questions in for you about uh, what it means to be transgender and give us a little bit more uh, insight into the whole experience. So um, thank you again for being on the show and being willing to do this. Share with everyone a little bit of your life's journey. Well, um, I'm 35 years old. I was born and raised in New York City. Um, I transitioned, I want to say, around the age of 16 and then started taking hormones at 18 and uh, legally changed my name around that time frame. Um, I I got my breast augmentation when I was 24, and at 32, I got my uh, uh, gender-affirming surgery completed. So now you've been living... uh for as a a woman for how many years after that final surgery well that's it's a, it's a very good question that you asked that i mean because a lot of people think that just because you get your surgery that that's when you consider that you are a woman but i've always considered myself be a woman since the day that i started transitioning so i would say i've been living myself my life as a woman more than half my life Okay, and so what was it like? Like, what were those initial thoughts about? Because I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are puzzled by Bruce Jenner. I mean, I personally think he had no intention of winning the gold medal. I think his intention was he wanted to find out if he was really a man, and to do that, he challenged himself to win the gold medal. And when he did, when he accomplished that impossible task of winning the gold medal, he found out that nothing changed. He was still a woman, and I'm sure it was just heartbreaking and sad because I I really think he put a challenge to himself because he was trying to bargain his way out of it, and obviously we know from the Diane Sawyer interview and all the, uh, the upcoming special on TV and all the interviews he's doing with the magazines that it's a, t- a totally different experience, but what was it really like for you, and how did your family react to it? You know, it's interesting because uh, when I was 15 years old, I actually uh, ran away from home. Um, And I ran away because I thought that my mother was not going to be accepting of me and my gender identity. Um, And that was one reason. Actually, there was more reasons as to why I left my mother's house. But um, but, uh, being that that was one of them, um, I had spent a good, I want to say, four or five years away from her. And throughout that time frame, um, I was... More, I, I was closer to my father, and um, my father himself, he, he, you know, it's funny, I grew up, I'm Latina, and it's funny that in the household that I grew up in, the roles were reversed. Typically in in Latino households, you always have what is called machismo, and you would expect the, the male or the father figure in the house to want his, his son to grow up to be the, a man as well. But it was actually, it was the other way around. My father is quite down to earth and really loving and very accepting. And so when I started transitioning, he asked me, why, why are you like that? <laughs> and um, he made gestures with his hands, with, with his wrists bending. And, you know, I told him, I'm like, Papa, you know, I've been like this my whole life. I mean, you caught me when I was in the bathroom when I was six, seven years old with a towel on my head, making believe it was my hair and making hairstyles. And, you know, he he understood at that point because he knew that when I was at a very young age, the way I was just expressing myself, that um, when I grew up and became Jasmine, it was just so fitting and it, it just, it, the puzzle was finally put together. Now, my mother, on the other hand, when she finally saw me after so many years of not um, seeing me, she she was very accepting and I was very surprised at that. Um, and so she, she 
on the other hand, though, she she had an uh, an issue with understanding the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. As, and as much as I kept trying to explain it to her, she just kept assuming that I was gay and, again, just failing to understand the difference between a gay man and a trans woman. And what is the difference? Because, okay, so you, um, you're you a trans woman, and do you date men or women? Um, yes, I date men. I am not attracted to women. So when I identify uh, in terms of my sexual orientation, it may boggle people's minds, but I do identify as heterosexual. Um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, let's bring, back, let's bring her back into the conversation, um, considering that she's been with Chris Jenner and she's been with women, and if she continues to be sexually active with women, she would be considered a lesbian trans woman. And Chaz Bono, who my mother and I watched Dancing with the Stars, that's Cher and Sonny's, uh, she was born their daughter, now she's their son. Chaz Bono is a trans man. He dated women, so he would be considered what? He would be a heterosexual man. He would be a heterosexual trans man. Okay, and so um, back to Caitlyn Jenner. When she was getting ready for the Vanity uh, Fair shoot, she was worried that she might look like a guy in drag or be considered a drag queen. What is the difference between drag queen and trans woman? Well, when you speak of a drag queen, a drag queen is a, usually a gay man that gets dressed up uh, for entertainment purposes. They usually put on shows at uh, bars and clubs. Uh, a trans woman is a transsexual, one who was assigned a certain sex at birth and is taking hormones, doing surgeries to transition and becoming into uh, the gender that they identify with. And, and I'm also glad that you asked that question because I want to throw another one into the mix, which is transvestite. Um, a lot of people like to uh, think that trans women are transvestites, and that's a misconception. Transvestites are actually heterosexual men who are married with women who cross-dress in the privacy of their own homes, and their wives may not necessarily know that they do this, but they do it for their sexual pleasures. So those are transvestites and cross-dressers. And as you, as people tend to use the word, uh, and I don't like using it, but I'm going to have to say it, tranny, that's actually a shortened form of the word transvestite, which is quite derogatory. So if you do meet a trans woman, please don't call her that. <laughs> because you would be making her sound like a transvestite versus a, so, our, so we should say Jasmine, a trans woman, not a transgender. Exactly. Okay, so, um, but part well, of the therapy, as I understand, Part of the therapy, as I understand from Caitlyn Jenner, was dressing as a woman while undergoing the journey and the changes and taking the hormones and, and the surgeries, correct? Yes. That's Did what you I go through any of that? Did you go through that period as well? I mean, how much therapy did you have to do before you began taking the hormones and having the surgeries that you told us about? You know, what's funny, around the time when I... Um quote-unquote, came out. It was in the mid to late 90s. And around that time frame, um, the, the L, you know, the term LGBT, T was just starting to be said. And I wasn't meeting many trans people. And at that time, um, I was repressing those uh, feelings that I had inside. So when I finally met trans women around that time frame, I, I started realizing how realistic it was for me to be able to live in the gender that I had always identified as. However, you know, it's a really sad life uh, because uh, not many trans women uh, are able to hold employment and some are forced to sex work and things. 
So, and you know, I want to talk about that for a minute because my experience of the trans community is from the documentary Paris is Burning, which came out in the early 90s, and it I felt it was very tragic and traumatic. Most of the trans uh, women and men who were who were in that documentary seemed to become uh, prostitutes, and and I know for a fact that. the tennis player Renee Richards was an ophthalmologist, uh, I think, and couldn't go back to work after his uh, her change uh, as an eye doctor. So that's how he suddenly got involved in the tennis circuit. Um, but I'm just curious: Do you, when you talk about that, do you have friends who transitioned who unfortunately lost? Left, had to leave their professional fields and had to resort to something like you said, sex work in order to pay for their bills? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are certain friends that I have that have totally put off on their transitions, which is what Caitlyn Jenner had, had done as well, um, in order for them to be successful in their careers. Once they've reached that point, that's when they were able to uh, be comfortable enough to transition. Um, me, on the other hand, I was young. I didn't have a career. I, w- I looked quite androgynous, so when I applied for employment, people would look at me and, and would say, huh, you're that? So I, it, it just didn't, it, it was insane. So it was very difficult for me to find employment. So that, um, I just ended up just going to, to college and making a career out of myself. But you really look like a woman. I mean, no one, I don't, I don't know any, I know most people who find out you're a trans woman are really surprised and shocked. I mean, I would consider you to be a small percentage of the trans community that just, uh, do you believe that, that just is able to pass, for lack of a better word, as a woman? Oh, yeah, I, I know that. I, I've, and, and I've, I've lived very stealth for a long period of my life, stealth meaning that under the radar where I wasn't telling anyone my business. I went to Syracuse University, and I went for four years there, and not a single soul knew about me. I held employment at uh, Bellevue Hospital, at St. Barnabas Hospital, and not a single person knew about me being trans either. As a matter of fact, the fact that you said Paris is burning, I too have participated in the ball culture and have competed in the realness categories and have been recognized for the fact that I do pass. Okay, and so, um, I mean, it, it's so di- the the truth of it is, though, that some people who do try transition are outcast and become suicidal. There's a huge suicide rat- rate within the trans community, and one of the reasons why I think people are promoting Caitlyn Jenner as much as they are, and you see it in all the headlines, is for his courage and also giving more awareness to uh, people who might be considering suicide who are having these thoughts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said a second ago, back in the late 90s when I transitioned, it, it, it I didn't get to see many trans women out there. And I didn't, again, like I didn't know it was going to be possible. So when I finally decided to transition, I told myself that I didn't want to become another stereotype or another statistic. So when I changed, I changed because I wanted to be a positive influence for the trans community out there. And so now you see Caitlyn Jenner, you ha- you just said Chaz Bono. We also forgot to mention Laverne Cox, who I know very dearly, and she's one of my good, good girlfriends. And she's just amazing at what she does. And, you know, the trans women and men are, are now being vis- more visible out there in the mainstream media, and it's just wonderful because now it's just a great opportunity for uh, other people to get to learn about who we really are because when you when you think about a trans person, all of a sudden we just become just genitals, and they fail to understand that we're people too with feelings. But the minute we say we're trans, 
feel like they're just fixated on it. That's all. So what's required for the maintenance of, of living as a woman, Jasmine? Are you taking hormones every day? Are you on medications? Like, what's your normal routine like? Um, well, now that I've had my gender-affirming surgery, I don't have to take hormones as much as I used to. But, yeah, having a, being on hormones is a lifelong process. I will be on it for the rest of my life. And a lot of people who are transgender are going through the transition, as you said, uh, from either trans women to trans men, decide not to complete the surgery. Uh, why would someone not want to complete the surgery, and then why did you choose to complete the surgery? I'm glad that you asked that because surgery is not something that's necessary for a trans person to identify in the gender that they want to be. Um, but to bring her up again, Laverne Cox, that's the, I, when I spoke with her about when I got my surgery on that time frame, uh, we had a very candid conversation about her and her not wanting to do that. She had feelings around it. And um, I told her that I, I was just so excited to do it. And I, I, if I could do it over again, I'd do it like five, ten times if I had to. But, again, getting that type of surgery does not define you as being a woman or a man. As long as you're presenting yourself in the gender that you want people to recognize you as such, then that's all you need. But having that, that surgery is not necessary. But then how are you with your partners? I mean, if you don't have the surgery that, you know, like we, we were just talking earlier about how you pass. So I would assume if they thought you were, a, do you tell men right away that you're trans woman or how do you, how does that you, happen? You know, it's funny. I, I tell men 100% of the time. And the reason why is because nowadays uh, you still have a lot of trans women and I'm not speaking on trans men. I really don't know the experience that they have when it comes to dating, but with trans women, it's, I find that a lot of girls have been murdered because of uh, the ignorance that is out there. Um, and most of the time what I'm hearing is, well, not most of the time, some of the time it's because they haven't told that their partner that they are trans. So it, I, I tend to tell guys because I want to avoid that, obviously, and because I want to be true and honest to myself. I, I, I find that when, when I disclose about myself, the only person's, that needs to know is the person that I'm going to bed with. And so when I tell guys, I tell them way before I get intimate with them. And it's funny that I, there has been a handful of men that I have told, and they've always, I mean, not they always, they've told me that it was unnecessary for me to let them know. So it's weird. So some guys want you to tell them, and some really just don't care. Interesting. And what is it like to have sex with a man as a trans woman? Oh my God, it's it's just oh, it's honestly the first time I had an orgasm when I had my surgery. I I don't mean to sound corny, but I I cried, and the guy that I was with, he thought he hurt me. He was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "No, yes, I'm I'm just fine." And he was like, "Well, why are you crying?" I was like, "Because my dream finally came true," and it was always to have that little guy. Um, because before my surgery, I, I, the only hole I had was uh, to have anal sex. And um, it, it just wasn't for me. You know, I mean, I, like I said, my whole life I, I've always wanted to be a girl, and the fact that I was able to finally have my surgery and have sex with a man in the way that I've always desired, it was just a lifelong dream coming true, and which is why I got so emotional and happy at that time. 
But I assume, and we've talked about this topic many times before, personal dryness issues um, on the show. I, my listeners know I'm going to ask it. What kind of lubricants do you like to use? Um, I use any kind. Honestly, I don't have a, a special favorite kind. Um, I did use uh, one that was my favorite. It was like a silicone, not silicone. It was like a slippery silicone type base of a lubricant, but it was water based. But it was slippery. I forget the name of that. But um, with now with my um, with my surgery, I really don't use uh, lubrication as much. Okay. And if there's one takeaway, wrapping up, Jasmine, that you could tell listeners what they should be taking away from Caitlyn Jenner and, like you said, um, your friend who's on Orange is the New Black and obviously Chaz Bono, what, what should we, as a general public, what kind of message would you like, what, what would you like us to know about your community? Basically what I just said a second ago, the minute someone discloses that they're trans to you, I mean, just forget about their genitals. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're human beings, and we should just respect each other as such. Um, just come with an open heart and open mind and understand the person that you're meeting, and at the end of the day, just appreciate your fellow mankind. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and telling us your story and helping us get a better awareness for the trans community. Um, and, and I'm just so thankful for you to be here tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, everybody. We've got one more song from Mark Ronson before we introduce our final guest of the evening. Let's get ready to take a listen to Heavy and Rollin'. Ivy's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and on Tuesday, July 14th, we'll be celebrating our fifth year anniversary of podcasting. Please join us when we'll have all kinds of celebrity guests, callers calling in, and Mama Rosemarie. Here she is. Welcome back to the show, Mama Rosemarie. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Mom, that was an interesting conversation with Jasmine, wasn't it? It sure was, but my tip is going to be on a light, lot lighter note, but it was very interesting. Uh, thank mean, you, Jasmine, for informing both, us. Yeah, you and I both watched Dancing with the Stars, and I'm sure you had some questions when you were watching Chaz Bono a couple seasons ago. Did you not? Yes, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. More it, so with this uh, Caitlyn Jenner. I had a lot of questions about that, too. So thank you, as I said before. Thank you, Jasmine, for informing us on such a difficult um, subject. It's very good. Thank you. All right, Mama Rosemary, what's your tip for the month? Well, as you know, summertime is coming, so that means vacation time. So my tip for the month is to help our divas stay on track to keep their weight uh, loss goals while they're vacationing. You know, so many people go on vacation, they don't want to cook or they don't have one of those outdoor grills available to keep their, to cook their healthy meals. So they go to the, you should know. They go where? I think we lost Mama. Mama Rosemary, they go to large change restaurants? And yes, they well, a lot of them go to those, and most chain restaurants have 
information for them on hand, or if they have the smartphones, they can look it right up while they're right there. So they should take advantage of that, knowing all that information and uh, about the nutrition facts when making their choice of the foods that they are ordering. So um, these restaurants are are great that they keep everybody um, informed so we could stay healthy on our vacations. So that's my tip for the for the month of June, and I want everybody to enjoy the summer. And as always, ciao for now. All right. Well, listen, hold on, Mama Rosemary, because we're going to bring back Trisha Peretti and ask her how the show was for her tonight and tell everyone again about her book. Hi, Trisha. Hey, Max. <laughs> well, I'm drinking water, and I'm having a funeral for my diet, Dr. Pepper. Um, so I'm like... <laughs> Let me take it off speaker. Yeah, I'm like crying over my Diet Dr. Pepper in my refrigerator, and I chose water. So it's been very educational. And thanks for, you know, for Jasmine, too. Thanks, Jasmine, because, you know, a prejudice comes in all shapes and sizes. And I have heard all kinds of things that I'm uncomfortable with this week. And I think everybody ought to take a breath and realize every nobody walks in your shoes but you. And and I I just thought it was really cool that um, that was part of tonight and I learned a lot, boy. <laughs> well, thank you for being on. Thank you for being the on the show and Jeff Robert that was, Lewis. That was very interesting. Hey Max, yeah. welcome back. You're. Uh, what did you think of the show, Our Grilling King? I thought it was amazing. I mean, it was a learning experience for me. It was really great. Thank you for having me. You're amazing. Oh, you're, I'm, I'm glad you both could be here. And Patricia Addy Gentle, we were talking about trans and diabetes at the top of the show. I know hormones really do increase people's risk of diabetes, and so important when you hear that statistic that 39% of the trans community is not being handled, is being treated poorly when they get routine health care services. It is alarming. I know you're a registered nurse down in Atlanta. What are your feelings on that? Well, that, I just feel terrible about that because it's important to have uh, immaculate care for anyone. Health care is, is very much a priority, and especially those who are going through uh, gender reassignments and using hormones because, as we know, all of our hormones do work together and they affect each other. And so a lot of imbalances of hormones can lead to insulin resistance and diabetes, and so that is something really important that needs to be monitored. Great advice, and thanks, thank you for being a part of the show. And, hey, thank everyone for listening tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank all my guests. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit Divabetic's Facebook page for daily inspiration. Plus, i got a whole slew of videos on Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Now remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close this podcast by getting up and moving to Uptown Funk one more time. Enjoy. Living it up in the city Got chucks on with St. Laurent Gotta kiss myself
I'm gonna 